I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Danny, what's up? How, how are you? I'm very well. You look nice. You've got a good, uh, healthy appearance to you. Thanks. I got a solid eight hours last night. Oh, excellent. Lovely. Yeah. Went to bed at 10. I only got like, you know, seven and a half max. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe down to seven. Uh, you can tell. You can, yeah. So if I sound yeah. a little like gravelly or I'm a little like low energy, that's the explanation. Um, <laughs> Danny and I have been seeing some more stuff at the London Film Festival. Once again, we don't want to talk about the films. We're saving that up for later. Don't want to do that. We want to have little Curb Enthusiasm-esque observations about, about the day, you know? I Every time I went there, I was hoping that there'd be a little funny encounters. I'd try to buy my coffee and somebody, or like, I would accidentally sound racist, and then behind me, there'd be, you know, an ethnic minority person or whatever. Uh, none of that really happened. So the closest that I can provide to, you know, for a good humorous, natural um, kind of introduction to this podcast would be Danny and I were standing in the queue for Funny Cow, which is a new comedy starring Maxine Peake. And there was a bit of a um, sort of... Bit of a kerfuffle. Bit of a kerfuffle going on at the front of the queue. Yeah, well, it was embargoed. We saw it on Sunday and the embargo lifted on Monday. But to see the film, you had to just sign your name on a piece of paper, which is basically kind of worthless. I don't know what happens if you tweet a review or whatever. But you're banned for life. You're banned for life from films. But this guy in front of us just lost his Lo- shit. Absolutely, he absolutely hated it. He said, "I find this fucking offensive." Yeah, and I was like, "All right, mate. It's literally three o'clock on a Sunday. <laughs> you want to see a free film, a three film? I mean, how entitled do you become?" Well, I was just what what I was wondering about because we heard him uh, lose his nut before we knew why, and it just makes you think what could have happened. Yeah. Obviously, people get angry for all sorts of reasons. There are many enraging things that can happen to you over the course of your day. But what can happen in the queue for like a press screening when you're talking to the BFI employee that would legitimately allow you to say that's fucking offensive? Also, he was at the front of the queue. It's not like he's waiting. No, he like, just what's has to the go wait? straight in. Yeah, you can spend all ten seconds signing your name on this piece of paper, and then you'd be sorted. It, like the only the only justification would have been if if he'd been on the receiving end of a racial slur or some kind of you know offensive comment of that nature. But <laughs> but I think it was just that he had to sign his name on a bit of paper. Some people. That's what happens when you make it in this industry. So let's never sell out. As You're soon right. as as soon as our listener figures get over a certain amount, I'm fucking shutting this thing down. When we have more listeners than episodes, that's time call, to quit. Quit. Call it quits. And that's that's been my mantra since day one, and it's that's never happened yet. So uh, so it's been okay, but like two episodes in, I was like, if three people listen to this, that's really that's too much. It's a miracle we made it this far. Really, like my my ego is gonna gonna develop like. It's just going to be too big, and I'm going to become a wanker, entitled wanker, like that man. Don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen, and it will never happen. Uh, so I'm I'm quite fine with it because I just don't see this going anywhere. So it's so it's actually good from an integrity perspective. True. So um, so, what's this podcast about? Let me tell you. Um, this is a podcast all about a financially strapped Hollywood homicide detective called Danny Moran. He began moonlighting as a real estate broker seven years ago. His partner is Detective Katie Rogers, a much younger officer who teaches yoga on the side and wants to be an actor. (laughs) She loves it. She absolutely loves it. The duo are assigned to investigate the murders of four men, members of a rap group called H2O Click, a very realistic and likely sounding name for a rap group that was absolutely just drawn from reality and not from the mind of some idiotic Hollywood hack. Uh, who were gunned down in a nightclub by two unidentified assailants. 
The detectives discover there was a witness in the nightclub who escaped unnoticed, and they work together to track him down. In the midst of it all, Moran has to deal with a looming real estate deal that may be the key to getting out of debt, while Rogers further pursues her dreams of acting by trying to be scouted by talent agents. It's what I would be saying if this was the dream of a crazy person who was with their dreams were the 2003 <laughs> action comedy Hollywood Homicide. <laughs> <laughs> starring starring Harrison Ford and Josh Hartnett. But it isn't the dreams of someone imagining the plot of that film. It's just a uh, podcast in which we uh, talk about and review films. I'm I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, it's just Danny Moran, isn't it? Just a normal guy. He's not a detective of any sort. It's just a sort of regular bloke. Perfect. Nailed it. Nailed Thanks. it. We've seen things. You people. A film about a sad woman starring Emily Beecham. I watched a blockbuster sequel directed by a French Canadian. All those moments will be preserved like Dodd Wav files in the cloud. Time to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got. Shame to go on after that epic uh, intro, isn't it? You can't hear it, but I just released the dove. You can't see it, rather. You can't see that I just released a dove there. You can't hear this dove. <laughs> I guess I could put on a dove sound effect, but I choose not to. <laughs> it was a silent dove, which I released into the dawn. Oh, wait, is that it there? So in the intervening, we, we took a week out last week, uh, and in Too that busy. intervening time, we have received a couple more suggestions on uh, Danny's question from last time about what you have hated the most um, out of the films released in the last five years. Tom Garud did not like Lucy. He said, I would have walked out of the cinema in anger if I hadn't fallen asleep from boredom. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I've not seen it. Haven't so. seen Lucy. But uh, I thought it was, I mean, it was quite well received, wasn't it, Lucy? Yeah, it got... And it had that great concept about uh, what happened if you used 100% of your brain and you became like sort of some... <laughs> it's like one of the dumbest concepts ever. defying superhero or something. I think we've discussed this maybe off the podcast, but like, if you use like 100% of your car, it's not like going really fast. It's just like you're braking, changing all the gears, the windscreen wipers are on, you've opened the boot, you know? If you use 100 of your brain, what what really happens? Like you shit yourself, you what, you're pissing, every, every, every brain function, function is, is just going at, at the same time. time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you just transcend to a higher a plane of existence, whatever. <laughs> you basically Neo, you become Neo, a cross between Neo and Akira. Great. Um, so which sounds good to me. Classic films. Don't know how it could be bad. Gonna have to disagree with you now, Tom. Take issue with that uh, assessment of Lucy there, Tom. Pretty annoyed about that, Tom. <laughs> Tom. <laughs> Don't have for that, Tom. <laughs> haven't seen the film, some reason not... taken against your opinion there, Tom. <laughs> Talking like this, not happy. Uh, Georgia Mills also wrote in. To, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with my ma- my my podcast manner today. It's that seven and a half hours. Anyway, she wrote in to say the Revenant because everyone jizz themselves wild about it and it was silly. Man of Steel because what were you thinking? A Million Ways to Die in the West because Seth MacFarlane isn't funny. Prometheus and Lucy for trying to be smart but being unfathomably stupid. Noah and Godzilla for being so, so boring. So she's got quite a few wow. quite a few items. You kind of like Noah though, didn't you? Yes. I mean, I don't want to bring our friendship into a state of question, <laughs> which is a weird way to say that. <laughs> but uh, I quite like Noah. i got to yeah. say, I quite Tell like Noah. Tell about your views on Noah there, Georgia. Noah's about your Noah views there, Georgia. Sure about that assessment, Georgia. Because it was pretty boring and your other opinions are pretty good, but I think Noah's pretty good uh, she's right on the revenant, eh? That was that sucked. Nah, that sucked. Man of Steel is also shit, and Man I don't like Seth MacFarlane, and I can't possibly imagine that his film would have been good as it looked awful. He's too smug. Gee, Most... as Georgia Mills once told me, and I think I've referenced this podcast. It's like a smug tadpole. Does, Nothing yeah. funny about that. <laughs> He's just not, he's one of those guys who isn't, he's naturally unfunny, you know, there's nothing funny about him. You know him. what he's got, he's got a he, ba- had to, he had to make himself into a cartoon dog in order to make the, so there's something interesting about him. Yeah, he has got a back five finger Zeke, a punchable, punchable face. Punchable face, he absolutely does. Back five finger Zeke. 
He's like the sort it. of guy, if you met him in a bar and he started to tell you jokes, you would immediately, your skin would crawl and you'd be like, get the fuck out get of here. Get the fuck away from me. Fuck off. You weird, creepy, smug tadpole. <laughs> <laughs> and Georgia followed that up was also saying, oh, and Jurassic World and The Good Dinosaur get special mentions for somehow fucking up a film with goddamn dinosaurs in. With some goddamn with dinosaurs. Some- you can't go wrong with a dinosaur in a movie. Oh, wait. Oh, wait, you, you can. can. Oh, they great. Oh. Great. The good dinosaur, more like the shittest dinosaur ever, am I right? That's how Georgia talks, isn't it? That's a good impression of her. Well, you know, she grew up in New Jersey, and that's just how the good people are. I'm that, Georgia Mills. That place talk. That's how I talk. Um, you spend a lot of time hanging outside a, a butcher's in uh, New Jersey, <laughs> and you'll find yourself adopting that, that manner of speaking. Of course. So, yeah, thanks, Thank you. thanks to those guys and to everyone else who wrote in. You certainly did fight some real stinking films. And good, you know, good on you. Well done for doing so. Congratulations. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have done it. And you, and you did. Very impressive. Well, you're on seven and a half hours sleep. How can you expect to do anything? You can barely talk. Hardly can string a sentence together. I'm hoping that just general low levels of coherence will become a kind of bubbling, fun, surreal comedy vibe, you know? Rather than just being like, this guy is not good right now. It's going to be like, whoa, interesting. He's got a kind of a different different kind of shtick this week. I like, I like the sort of turn he's taken. <laughs> That's the reaction I'm hoping for. But please do write in and, and uh, tell me if I achieve that. Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. So the biggest news story of this week has been Harvey Weinstein's fall from grace. Harvey Weinstein being the head of the Weinstein Company with his brother Bob and formerly the head honcho at Miramax and in the late 90s seemed to dominate the Oscar race every year and he's sort of probably the most well-known producer in the world probably. Probably, yeah. He's, he's clocked up something like 300 Oscar nominations or something crazy like that. Yeah, he's always seems to be involved in some sort of awards uh, awardsy movie. But this week has seen his reputation in tatters because a bunch of stories about sexual allegations have arisen and it seems after a report in the new york times and then yeah there was a there was a new york times story about uh sexual harassment and assault allegations against him and then that was followed up a few days later well actually just yesterday it seems but things move so quickly with this story that it yeah, feels it's like age passes every six hours this by the time you listen to this there's probably been about 20 other allegations made well, probably that's the thing is that it's really snowballed in a crazy way and it's it's developing this it's become this sort of massive network and it feels like a historic moment and i don't know if this is going to be a real turning point but one hopes that it that it will be but yeah so the 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 sort of real massive bombshell came yesterday uh, in the form of a piece by ronan farrow in uh, which he recounts he basically interviewed a bunch of people uh, various women and has been doing something like 10 months of investigation on this and then after the publication of the new york times speech is like his piece became more publishable but there's a sort of like background scandal about the inability or the unwillingness of other news organizations to run this story before uh, but now the New Yorker has, and there's just a bunch of women who told him about uh, on the record about stuff that Harvey Weinstein did. Three of them have accused him of rape. Um, here's a little sample story. So Asia, <laughs> just to give you a little flavor, but like they're they're all they're very similar to each other, and a lot of them are quite graphic. And I would say that like of all of the various scandals, this is like the latest in a in a in a real string of sex scandals that have afflicted the entertainment industry. And uh, of all of them, this seems one where there's the least conceivable room for any doubt whatsoever. Yeah. Like all these women are telling the exact same story and it goes past over decades, basically. But for example, Asia Argento, who is the daughter of the director Dario Argento and a filmmaker and actress in her own right. She starred in a movie called Bee Monkey, uh, which I am not familiar with. Um, That was released in 1999, uh, distributed by Miramax. And um, Argento was 21 uh, and like many of the other uh, women uh, who were assaulted by Weinstein, she was invited to go up to his hotel room for a quote-unquote meeting where he appeared in his uh, dressing gown, asked her for a massage, and then, like, forced her to perform oral... Uh, oh, no, she, like, he performed oral sex on her or something really fucking weird right, like okay. that. And she sort of uh, left horrified and has, you know, been affected by this for a while. Jesus. She actually made a movie a couple of years later 
called Scarlet Diva. It was actually the next year, released in 2000, which she wrote and directed. Uh, and in the movie, a heavyset producer corners her character and asks her for a massage and tries to assault her. And in the Ronan Farrow story, it says, after the movie came out, women began approaching Argento, saying that they recognized Weinstein's behavior in the portrayal. Uh, Weinstein, according to Argento, saw the film after it was released in the US and apparently recognized himself. Ha ha, very funny, Argento remembered him saying to her. Um, yeah, so just... Jesus. Just fucking, like, insane. And it's it's really snowballing in all sorts of ways. Like, if you uh, have been interested in this or following this... It's all over the place. Various people have made statements about it. It's it's become such a big story that it feels like everyone has to comment on it. Yeah. Part of the news story is who is and who isn't commenting on it, what they're saying, because like everyone's connected to him. Everyone's known him for years. George Clooney gave an interview where you know he said how how shocked he was and he knew he was like a blustery, angry bully, but didn't know that he was like a sex predator. And that seems to be the sort of line that a lot of people are saying, but others are rather skeptical about it. When one of the big uh, sort of fighters on this is uh, Rose McGowan. She's what is she even? She was in Planet Terror. And... She was in Charmed. She Charmed, she, she yeah. was in Scream um, back right, in the right. day. Back in the day, and she was a bit of a sort of nineties Scream queen and naughty Scream queen, I guess, with Planet Terror. But I think yeah. it's been a while <laughs> since she's probably been in a big major release. Yeah, yeah. Um, she has been. Uh, she has this hashtag Rose Army on Twitter, and she's really been uh, bringing hell to the nerds over this and uh, tweeting things like. I raise my sword to all who fight for truth and justice. We will prevail. And the golden swamp must be drained. Um, and Ben Affleck, fuck off. <laughs> wow. She has a little beef with Ben Affleck because he released a statement uh, professing his horror over what Weinstein did. And then she said that she had previously told Ben Affleck about her own harassment at the hands of Harvey Weinstein. And he'd said something like, God damn it, I told him to stop doing that. Or something like that which makes his like current you know stance look at um dishonest basically i've also seen a thing that gwyneth paltrow has just come out uh, oh yeah what's the paltrow do you want to oh, come smart. over so i uh, was just flicking through my phone checking on the updates that are coming in thick and fast on this harvey weinstein scandal yeah. uh, and it appears that gwyneth paltrow has also just come out and said that he basically you know uh, took her to a bedroom in a hotel to discuss the movie Emma when she was 22 years old. And then it quickly became clear that he uh, wanted to have massages. Oh uh, she went back and immediately told her boyfriend at the time, Brad Pitt, uh, who called up um, Harvey Weinstein and told him to never touch her again. So it's interesting that George Clooney is saying that he knows nothing about this when one of his closest friends had a had a partner right, yeah. sexually assaulted. Well, it's very easy to believe that they, you know, surely they knew, you know what I mean? I mean... There's obviously there's a pattern in these kinds of scandals where a lot of people, you know, everyone always says, "Oh, I didn't know," and uh, everyone surrounded powerful people that they sort of, you know, oh, do it in plain sorry. sight. Uh, and Angelina Jolie as well. So Jolie as well. It's sort of becoming like, is there any single prominent woman in Hollywood who hasn't yeah. been? What the fuck were these men doing? Yeah, it's crazy, and it seems to be quite a yeah it's quite sort of all engulfing and i really hope that it is sufficiently big story to you know destroy harvey weinstein's career which has happened already but to make people ask serious questions about the whole structure of the entertainment industry i mean it's not like unique to hollywood in any way that like incredibly rich and powerful people feel like they can like get away with doing anything and would like harass and abuse women but it's obviously very prevalent in hollywood and it's apparently easy to do and still have a decades-long career and like you know yeah have everyone embrace you and they need to do some drastic stuff rose mcgowan is calling for the entire board of the weinstein company to resign i think a few of them have done so already um but it's they're all men obviously <laughs> yeah of course unsurprisingly but yeah the the affleck thing is obviously like there's the the additional detail of the fact that his brother has been accused of sexual harassment casey uh, which is a sexual before. harassment defender yeah on all fronts um and then earlier today this thing came out that ben affleck had uh groped a reporter in 2003 uh a reporter called hillary burton who he apparently like grabbed her breasts like during an interview or something like that on mtv's show total request live um and then affleck has then tweeted an apology for it but it's just the it's just grim it's just fucking grim yeah. this whole thing and it's grim all the people who aren't saying anything there's been nothing from tarantino 
um, hasn't like spoken about it yet. He's obviously very close to Harvey Weinstein. Well, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's career was made by Weinstein. Yeah, because right? of Good Will Hunting. Hunting. Yeah. But he also produces Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. Oh, really? I didn't... Um, he produced his early stuff. I think Megan Ellison is a producer now. Yeah. But he produced um, Magnolia, I believe. Take all of the Weinstein and, um, Company's money and give it to Annapurna Pictures instead. Oh, well, yeah. When there was Miramax, I think, he produced Magnolia. And I'm trying to remember my PTA knowledge here. Um, yeah, a lot of sort of um, 90s up-and-comers were sort of snatched up by the Weinstein Company. So a lot of the sort of modern Hollywood landscape has been somewhat molded by him, which I guess is why he had this reputation as, you know, the sort of Prince of Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jesus. I guess it is, I mean, to try and find a positive spin, the fact there's been such widespread condemnations, like you said, like it's, maybe this will be a tipping point. It feels, and, I mean, it feels like a, it, it feels like a sort of watershed moment, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, it comes on the back of Bill Cosby, obviously Donald Trump, I mean, I guess it's like an American kind of U-tree thing. We've kind yeah. of had it here already in Britain, but just, you know, any man is viewed with appropriate suspicion who's been in the industry this, you know, for well, many I think, years. Well, I, I mean, I wonder if part of it is the fact that because of the way in which American presidents sort of set cultural conditions in a way, or they have a lot of like cultural influence, that the, the with Donald Trump, obviously every liberal like utterly despises him. And the the biggest story of his campaign was his sexual assault, the sure. pussy grabbing tape and everything. Um, and he still became the president. Um, and I wonder if it just created this climate in which <laughs> their people are more yeah. willing to be outraged than they sure. otherwise would be, you know, because it's I mean, the, the implication of that is not very flattering towards these people. But it's like, you know, it's it's not just sexually harassing somebody, but it's being like Donald Trump. You know, yeah, the most unforgivable person you can be like. But it really, it feels like the 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 time for this to maybe like actually become unacceptable, and and who knows where it's going to go. By the time we release this podcast, anything could have fucking happened. I, I believe anything at this point. What does it mean for Justice League Part Two? I mean, <laughs> that's the real question. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, anyway, on much more important news... The Whoa. new Star Wars trailer came out. Whoa. Whoa. The Last Jedi. What? The Last Jedi. But the penultimate film of the trilogy. No. What? Um, yeah, what did, you th- what did you think, Danny? I thought it looked like a fun movie with some explosions in that. It's got some explosions. I'm liking these, the, the porgs, like the cute little penguin things. They You've look, they look adorable. Thing. Yeah. And I am genuinely excited to see Mark Hamill back as Luke. That's super exciting. Because I think one of the problems with The Force Awakens is the way they kind of reset the characters. So when like, first of all, you've seen Harrison Ford be a grumpy old man like every year. Yeah. He's always playing a grumpy old man. That's his thing. And also Han Solo is so much just Harrison Ford that it wasn't that much of a big deal when he turned up. Yeah. And similarly with Carrie Fisher, Leia's character hadn't moved on at all. But like in this one, Luke's got a beard. He's all a bit pissed off. It feels like he has got much more of a character arc than the other original players yeah absolutely yeah and because mark hamill just hasn't been on movie screens that much it is a bit like he stopped making movies after the return of the jedi and he's now back which is kind of exciting yeah and except for his unforgettable turn in kingsman the secret service uh i'm forgetting his yes you're right sorry (laughs) incredible incredible role and his great voice work over the years yeah um but yeah, I don't know. That sounded sarcastic. He is a very talented voice actor. Talented voice actor. <laughs> very good shaker in the Batman the Animated Series. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know if they're just playing their cards very close to their chest with this one, or if it does have a very similar general kind of flavor to The Force Awakens, but the trailers seem safe in the extreme. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I hope that they are just uh, not giving anything away and that there's actually some exciting stuff is going to happen in it because if it's just more angst about the light and dark and the good force and the bad force and stuff i'm not interested (laughs) it's got to have some kind of sci-fi fun to it that's a bit more imaginative than just like you know angsty teens well in ryan johnson i have faith yeah yeah 
Um, yeah, do you think they're just playing it safe because they've had so much negative Star Wars press? It's like we can't risk anything. We just gotta. It's just they're all the actors are back. They're back. There are some explosions. Oscar Isaac's still really hot. Yeah, look at him saying his lines, sexy. being all sexy. Yeah, there's some kind of promise that someone might turn from the dark side to the light. Someone Great. might go the other way. That's a classic Star Wars thing to happen, but. Other than that, who knows? That's that's the only arc you can have, right? The only arc you can have. <laughs> the student becomes the master. The good guy becomes the bad guy. And vice versa. Versus where's vice. The, where's the master becomes the student arc? Can we get one of those? You know, he bangs his head and he's like, oh, do I use this? <laughs> yeah, that was in the first five minutes. You know what I'm interested by? Because apparently it begins directly after Force Awakens ended with them on that island. Shot yeah. off the coast of Kerry. Just can my you bring that, Just bring that thing over here, please. But like, what is the opening crawl? It's like <laughs> Ray has just landed on the island. Dut, dut, dut. The opening crawl <laughs> just, just summarizes the plot <laughs> of, Force Awakens. of the Force Awakens. In case you didn't see it. Yeah, in case you didn't see it, you know the following characters were established last time on Star Wars. <laughs> dun dun. Yeah. Dun dun. dun. <laughs> You're right. The opening crawl just have to be like, and she's still there. I saw that in the trailer that John Boyega um, is fighting Gwendolyn Christie. But she was put in the trash compactor. How did she survive? Well, they go in the trash compactor in uh, the f- the first Star Wars film. Yeah, but it? she had no droid to call to tell her to shut off the, uh, you know, the main unit in the trash compactor, That's whatever. That's true. She must have found Where another way out. Where could they be? Maybe that'll be the subject of the opening crawl. <laughs> yeah. Captain Phasma <laughs> escapes <laughs> the trash compactor after a protracted battle with the, the slime monster. That's obviously I thought that was one of the, like, the stupidest lines in The Force Awakens. It's like... We've captured this woman who I hate. It's like, do you have a trash compactor? It's like, yes. Like, you're going to fucking crush her to death. Yeah, that's... Like, that's so fucked up. Yeah, yeah, It was really idiotic. <laughs> and she was so much in the marketing and then, like, not in the film at all. Yeah, also considering that his whole, like, you know, arc began with him, like, uh, giving up violence. He was so horrified by war. He's like, I'm going to crush this woman to death in a yeah. trash compactor. What the fuck's going on there? I'm, yeah, I'm sure hopefully they'll make up for it this time. Maybe that's explained in the opening crawl. That'll all... Don't worry, Danny. We've, we've all got a lot of criticisms of The Force Awakens, but I'm sure the opening crawl is going to sort that out. All of them out. Iron, iron everything out. It's going to explain all the things that were in the trailer, but then we'll cut out. And yeah, it's going to be the opening crawl. Faith in the crawl. Love the crawl. Love the crawl. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shy. Okay, start reviewing now. So, Daphne, gonna do a little quick uh, review in the lead up to our main review. Uh, and it, the, the length of it will be proportionate to the budgetary difference between this film and uh, <laughs> Blade Runner 2049, which means it's only gonna be 15 seconds long. It was good at uh, the end. <laughs> no, it's going to be a bit more than that. This is a uh, film that came out uh, the end of September, and I watched it on Curzon Home Cinema, where it is still currently available if you want to check it out. Um, and it's a relatively low-key movie, so not a bad one to watch on demand. Directed by Peter Mackie Burns and starring Emily Beecham, and it's very much a sort of a showcase acting showcase by Emily Beecham. It's a sort of character study movie. She plays Daphne. Uh, who is a 31-year-old young Londoner. She works as a uh, chef in quite a nice restaurant, uh, but she doesn't know where she's going with her life, and she is generally rather unhappy. Here's a clip. Hello again. Well, I kicked you out of the club a few nights ago. You called oh. me a fabulous cunt. Oh. Yeah. Oh, amazing. That's fantastic. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, no, it's yeah. not fantastic at all. It was a mixed insult, at least. Very uncharacteristic um, behaviour of me. Yeah, yeah, that's the feeling. No, like normally, that. I'm much more um. Uh, pregnant. What? Sorry, God, idiot. No, it's just the um, the vitamins. None of mine. No, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry, it probably looked like I was about to stab you. <laughs> no, I'm, I've seen worse. Believe me. I, yeah, I just find it weird what manufacturers think that pregnant women need that other women don't. Who's to say I could be doing with more selenium and magnesium, getting all the good shit? I, I feel like I'm pregnant with anxiety. I need the good shit too. Right. I mean, no, I know it's so unfair. I mean, I was just going to say that if you were pregnant, perhaps instead of all the vodka Red Bull you drank, uh, might be better to just stick to the vodka, slightly, you know, healthier. 
so you, I I really enjoy this. I think in in some way it is a film designed very specifically to appeal to me. I am approximately the same age as a main character and live in London as well. And it's exploration of that of a sort of like millennial uh, going nowhere angstiness uh, is like resonates with you. Sure. And it was actually it was something they were talking about a bit. I was listening to the Chapo Trap House podcast earlier today. And they were talking a bit about how uh, one of the current themes in various different films is that sort of uh, late capitalist feeling of not having a future and how this was the true of both um, Brawl and Cell Block 99 and The Florida Project. These two <laughs> completely different films, Brawl and Cell Block 99 being like a incredibly violent uh, prison like action movie with Vince Vaughn. And the Florida Project uh, being the follow-up by the guy directed Tangerine. Um, Sean Baker. Sean Baker, yeah. I'm not quite sure the plot of it. but it's Seeing it tomorrow. Danny's seeing it tomorrow, so he'll be able to tell us more about it. But it probably isn't a violent prison drama. And uh, Daphne is also a very, very different kind of movie. But they share that sensibility or, or that sort of theme of feeling that, you know, vaguely that you were sort of promised a particular kind of life's path. And that has not worked out. And there's nothing obvious like what you should do. And she is... Uh, sort of quietly very unhappy and it all comes to a head there's like an incident that brings to a head that i won't you know spoil for you um but it sort of unspools throughout the film and yeah i thought it was very effective this she's got a great central performance kermo described it as very three-dimensional i think that's like a good description of it i don't know if she's just very much like the main character or uh or if it's you know great acting maybe it's terrible acting and she's just like that anyway (laughs) just put a camera on her uh but it's extremely uh, naturalistic and believable and she's very compelling presence basically and i think it also treads quite a, a fine line of being an attractive to look at film without seeming like she has an implausibly wealthy life you know sure like yeah, it's yeah. a very um sort of instagram post of a movie in some ways london looks really nice so even though a lot of the a lot of like the action of it is watching her wandering around being being very unhappy it's a very watchable movie because She's got this like job in a restaurant making nice food. Um, she's surrounded by nice things. Her. She's just surrounded by nice things, and like you know, her, the place where she lives is probably slightly nicer than it is really plausible. But you just you know you have to go along with it because it means that then you get to look at her nice furnishings. Um, That's cool. I on the sorry, subject of films looking nicer, I watched Journeyman today, which I wasn't a fan of. This new putty Constantine movie, and I find like a lot of British films are visually indistinguishable from like a John Lewis ad. Like yeah. Everything is like in blues and greys, a lot of glass, a lot of like Scandinavian people looking out of windows, a lot of white, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sort of, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I that's think what, that's the appeal of like Pedro Almodovar. Things are pink. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, a yeah. bit more color to them. Daphne is a bit different. It's more of a sort of warm, like brick and like you hey, know, brown better. hues, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a very it's a very attractively photographed movie, and I I recommend seeking it out. It's a little thing. Maybe you, maybe you saw Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and you were like, I'm exhausted by uh, Gosling's soulful eyes and the giant uh, sci fi epic landscapes, and I just want to see a more relatable uh, film about a woman wandering about London trying to figure her shit out. Would you recommend it for the ladies? Yeah, absolutely. What a what a patronizing and no, misogynistic. But... <laughs> no, no, no. I, as a woman, I it's always looking out for decent movies with really realistic, lovable but flawed female characters in, and we we eat them up. So uh, well, she's a, she's a good female character, but annoying and well rounded. I would say I would say that's um, yeah. I mean, it's not really for me to say whether it's a uh, you know believable portrait of a woman. I don't know, but it seems I could say that if I seem plausible it. to me. And I think it's it's certainly great to say that she is like she's quite annoying in quite a sort of contemporary young person way, but you know she doesn't have that's part of it. You know, I I read some sniffy reviews that were saying that uh, she was just a pain in the ass, uh, but it really sounded like you know dad complaining about like his friend's kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? She doesn't. She's not supposed to be like the perfect person or whatever. But yeah, but if it's like someone who's kind of smart, kind of precocious, kind of annoying. But uh, you know, but someone who you can empathise with. I can relate to all that, that, apart from the annoying part, obviously. I'm not annoying ever. I'm never annoying. I'm very fun to be around. Very fun to be around, always. So that part of the film made no sense. I think that's good. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak? 
Don't do they interrupt each other? The Lord is on the guys are in. So let the chat begin. Start talking now. Blade Runner 2049. I don't know about you, Sam, but for 35 years I've been waiting for a Blade Runner sequel. Me too. 36. I don't know when the first one came out. Fucking ages ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very long time ago. Very long time ago. So Blade Runner 2049. This film, the original was obviously directed by Ridley Scott and starred Harrison Ford. And this one is directed by Denis Villeneuve, the director of Arrival and Prisoners and Sicario, that hot as shit French-Canadian. And in the future of Los Angeles in the year 2049, Ryan Gosling plays Kay. He is a replicant uh, Blade Runner. He is tracking down the old model of replicants, the ones that Harrison Ford was tracking down in the first movie. And in an opening scene, he discovers a secret that will draw him back into the past and at some point reunite him with Harrison Ford's Deckard. Uh, The antagonist in the movie is Jared Leto playing an evil industrialist who's taken over the Tyrell Corp and loves making robots or doesn't or can't make any more. It's not quite really clear what's going on there. Deep character. Deep character. Here is a clip. The Nicholas for the colonial ships, closest any of them or any of us is going to get to that grand life off world. So come on now. What sort do you have in mind? Because I got all kinds. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not buying. No, no, no. This is just my game and I play it fair. No, no, I mean, bigger than you. Bigger than you were trying to shut me down, bigger than you, and they were, they were men at that. So this movie has arrived with a lot of positive reviews, with much praise, ad- much adulation, and I enjoyed it. I'm not sure it's the five-star masterpiece people are declaring it as, uh, but I think I enjoyed it most as a sort of refreshingly different blockbuster and i think maybe the fact that it's a blade runner sequel is the only way you can make a film of this scale with this kind of mood uh yeah well it's an odd it's an odd one because the original blade runner was not a box office success right and it's only developed its cultural cachet kind of since then yeah exactly it's it's well it although it did like good business but not it actually sort of didn't meet its targets on the opening weekend right right and i think that is Partly due to the fact that though it is a movie which is very influential and has a lot, everyone knows the, knows the title and perhaps knows Rutger Hauer's speech. I don't know how much of the new audience has seen the original and whether it's just a film beloved of film nerds and as as a genuine cult classic in that way. Yeah, it's got it. It occupies a strange space of uh, being as famous as a huge movie, but you know, as successful. Like, <laughs> yeah, not as successful. You know, as successful as like a cult classic. I just wanted to read a little bit of Peter Bradshaw's review because it's really funny how hyperbolic it is. Uh, the title of the review is A Gigantic Spectacle of Pure Hallucinatory Craziness. He's really cranked open his like uh, adjective dictionary. He's got a word of the day toilet paper and he did like 12 shits making this uh, review. Yes. It's mind-boggling, cortex-wobbling, craniofacial splintering images are there to trigger awe or even a kind of ecstatic despair the idea of a post-human future and what it means to imagine the wreck of our current form of homo sapiens his his mind was well and truly his craniofacial sort of area was well and truly Ooh, splintered splintered yeah and there's people calling it like a masterpiece and stuff like that uh, i definitely think that's going a bit far i mean i was i was definitely more positive coming out of the movie than you were initially and i think that partly it was the fact that i was quite refreshed by by what you were saying that it's that it's paced very slowly compared to most modern blockbusters it doesn't feel like it's just fallen off the like the committee sort of uh, factory wheel um if that's a thing like <laughs> a lot of blockbusters do and uh it's very attractively photographed there's some very sort of cool shots i think uh, one of the things that villeneuve is very good at is a sense of scale and he establishes scale very well and there's some uh, cool like vast moments it definitely feels very epic and i thought that i mean a lot of people turn their noses up at ryan gosling's just staring at things performances uh but i i like it i think he's good i'm the same i'm a huge gosling fan yeah i think he just does a good job i mean i saw someone describe someone made a comment about this on twitter that described his two expressions as plank and plank with trembling lip (laughs) 
and you know i can kind of i can certainly see why why people say that but i think that it's partly to do with pete the roles that he keeps getting given you know i think he's like a proper actor but they keep casting him as these enigmatic figures who just stare at things and it certainly makes sense for this role um and i thought that he you know there's a lot of nuance in his plank and plank with trembling lip that's a whole spectrum you know that's just like the opposite yeah, poles of absolutely a, of a wide spectrum of acting yeah i would say like the Vilner thing is that everything is sort of um savored it's like he, oh yeah you know so, yeah. it's like a meal he's eating slowly and every mouthful will be you know chewed and digested the sort of french mumbling in the background is very audible oh yes oh it's so beautiful <laughs> oh i love this oh but i think unlike the original which it will be compared to it's a film which i think i got it all on first viewing and if i was going to describe the original blade runner to somebody i'll be like it's a sort of like an english language foreign language movie in that it seems kind of like weird and you don't quite get it and it it is uh, very successful in being alien. And I don't know if that's partly because it was sort of slightly unfinished and so messed with and just out of this sort of perfect storm of a terrible production history, this sort of like weird movie emerged, which you can read whatever you want into it because nobody really knew what they were doing or they sort of did or... Yeah, it's weirdly like a mess, but also feels of a piece. Yeah, yeah it's odd. like, yeah. I've, I've been trying to think of a good way to describe it, but it's like a, a kind of, it makes my brain kind of squint watching it because it's made with such craft and yet, at the same time totally kind of opaque yeah so yeah. it's like it's so deliberately and confidently made but at the same time really scott in interviews doesn't really seem to be know what he was making well, especially because his subsequent career i mean <laughs> he made alien in that movie and like so much of his rest of his work seemed like just an idiot hack so yeah it's very hard to trust him so it is a bit of a it is a bit of a mystery and i think maybe some of the reception of blade runner 2049 is people being in a way relieved at a film which has a sort of lot of uh, grandioseness to it and a, a lot of it's very impressive but it is also very comprehensible and yeah and i think they are maybe a lot of people who are just pleased that something's been produced that doesn't like feel stupid i, I think that i think villeneuve is very christopher nolan-esque i kind of lump them together in my mind a little bit because i think they're both filmmakers who produce movies with a lot of grandiosity and a, and a feeling of uh like a single artistic vision behind it and they seem like control freaks um and they don't make movies that are super smart but they kind of make you feel like you've got to see a smart <laughs> film you know yeah yeah so like you like you leave inception and you're like i'm a genius for having watched this film <laughs> you know even though like it's kind of dumb yeah yeah absolutely. and i think i think that blade runner 2049 is kind of a similar thing yeah but it's got a, a quite a linear and very easy to follow really detective plot where they just find clues and stuff and follow slowly, the clues slowly. very very slowly you've <laughs> yeah. got a lot of time to think uh, and Blade Runner is not like that at all it's like an anti-detective film almost and so this one satisfies your cravings for a, like a robot sci-fi detective <laughs> film that has like you know just like a lot of plot for the detectives to work out while also being spectacular I think that probably explains a lot of the, the, the reaction to it yeah and I think on that point I think like because he's so um, like sort of like a slightly Nolan-esque meticulous confident director that is at times to the film's detriment because it just highlights the sort of shortcomings in the script. Because yeah, it the kinda, script it, is very Because it, it invites you to, because everything, every frame has been scrutinized over, it kind of invites you to scrutinize the movie in a way it cannot, uh, it's not watertight enough to live up to that scrutiny. So there's a lot of sort of slightly clunky, cliched moments in it. Like uh, Robin Wright plays the sort of uh, kind of boss character you know the police like you know this is your last chance you know do the job okay i like you rookie yeah kind of thing yeah yeah and uh jared leto who is not a good actor he fucking sucks leto <laughs> is like kind of hamming it up but he's also got a very hammy character so i mean there's a lot of press about him being blind for the role but he is basically just a walking stick and a beard you know he doesn't have a character he just has like affectations yeah because all he does is deliver this some sort of like pseudo biblical bullshit about life and death it's all a bit kind of... Uh, gives a bit of plot info. And yeah, then, yeah, you know, it's a bit kind of Prometheus-esque where it's like just quoting, you know, Milton or whatever does not a deep character equal. Yes. And he, he also finds time to quite horribly murder a naked woman. Uh, and, yeah, really yeah, and the, the film has um, come under some criticism for its treatment of women. And I guess it's interesting to look at how women are treated in the Blade Runner franchise uh, generally because the first movie... Uh, is probably you know it's not like a um, perfect example of uh, women being really well treated in you know films but the second one has like different kinds of problems it feels like a kind of hornier movie i mean i don't know why he 
made a decision to include like quite a lot of naked women in the film but it's like it's hard it's very noticeable yeah you know uh, and i don't know i don't know what it is that why it has to be so porny and it there's like there's only so far that you can go with this thing about how like the future is about you know turning people into things and like it's always women who get commodified and blah 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 well but it, you know that's that's like that sort bit, of ghost in the shell stuff feels a bit of an excuse really because yeah it feels a bit sort of lampshade hanging because it keeps on mentioning like slave you hear the word slave a lot and about yeah. enslaving people and the kind of mcguffany plot is about taking possession of procreation yeah yeah but it's a bit like that theme is just sort of highlighted rather than explored well, and if, because it's about that, you'd really think that women would have a greater role. <laughs> yeah, in that exactly. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's all a bit kind of thrown in there. Do you think? Because I, one thing I've been wondering about uh, that I was kind of thinking when I saw the film, that one of the things I liked about it is that all that slavery stuff, which is uh, in the first film but not necessarily brought to the forefront, is here extremely explicit. Is like the text of the film, and it takes a very, very clear moral line on it and it feels like a much more like moralizing film than the first blade runner yeah and i don't know whether you that is good or bad necessarily i haven't quite made my mind up i think you can definitely make an argument that there's a certain like clarity and you know the the, an impact to just like taking the stance that it does and raising all those things from the background to the foreground Uh, but i can also see why you would see it as just dumbing down I don't know. What is your what is your view on it? Yeah, I I would agree that it's like by um, just highlighting it, sort of it's doubling down on the problems. Because I think there's in the first movie to generalize, it's about what makes you human, what makes you inhuman, and this one it seemed to be more like what makes you fake and what makes you real, which might be the same thing. But there's like a character, like Ryan Gosling's got this sort of hologram girlfriend, a bit like uh, Spike John's movie Her, and it's a bit like the more really tries to make her the more it highlights her fakeness. But I don't know if that is re- like that is all that the character has. You know, I've just summed it up in a sentence. Yeah. I don't know if she ever really escaped being more than just a sort of... She's an interesting, um, an interesting character. Kind of like an way, aside yeah. to the story just to sort of justify other elements of it. Well, or just like another woman to drive forward the protagonist. Yeah. That she f- performs such a sort of fake script role that that like is um goes beyond whatever the question is in the movie about whether how real her character actually is yeah i mean but i don't know but but i gotta say we've we've kind of discussed the shortcomings there but i did uh enjoy it i mean purely for the fact that it i mean it roger deacons who was a cinematographer really beautifully beautifully shot and i just sort of sat in soaked it all up yeah and i don't know i think maybe it's a movie that might have bad fans you know like it's sort of it's one of those movies where it's like there's a lot of themes but i don't know if they're really saying that much yeah but as on the just on a purely like i was interested scene to scene yeah kind of i way, thought i, I, I think was kind of with it that kind of detect the satisfaction of seeing a detective plot play out is present in the movie yeah. I'm a bit of a sucker for that kind of thing all the clues and stuff and i really enjoyed that i enjoyed the performances and it's it the the visual aspect of it like i i think that all of the things that it draws on it's clearly deriving it's, you can see all of its influences, you know, yeah, yeah, visual yeah. influences are very clear, but there are still some things that felt quite new to me. And uh, there's some moments that are really impressive, like very visually spectacular. And everyone is turning up and doing their absolute best, you know, that kind of savoring aspect of the direction is definitely present in the performances. It's like the camera's going to be on you for a long fucking time. So you've got to find some stuff to do, you know, <laughs> you've got to perform a lot. You've got to act for minutes. You've got to act. You've got to seriously act uh, the hell out of this. And Harrison Ford, who is always treading a bit of a line between uh, just sort of bumbling around, looking like a confused old man and actually performing, uh, is probably do- giving more of a performance here than he is in most yeah, of the Yeah, he was really, you know, he played it very nicely for his yeah, yeah. character. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, not not bad. <laughs> not bad? Not bad. I give it 2,049 stars out of 4,000. 4, <laughs> <laughs> That's a reasonable... That's a reasonable score. Reasonable score. <laughs> Better than average. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end. So, thank you for joining us on this episode of Film Chat. It's been a wonderful journey. I've changed, Danny's changed, 
uh, we've all we changed. Do, we've all changed. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, join us next week. We'll be reviewing some more films. I don't know what's out. I've well, seen. Isn't uh, Call Me by Your Name out pretty soon? It's on the twenty seventh. So oh, so that'll be in two weeks time. That'll be two weeks time. Okay, we'll see some. I've seen like I've seen like forty films in a month, dude. Like I've seen more films than you people would believe. <laughs> I've seen. Films. <laughs> I've seen a film like Angels Wear White in Pichel Central One. I've seen off the Gates of Orion. Off the Gates of Orion. Yeah. I've seen Good Manners, a terrible debut. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All will be lost. Uh, you'll probably, well, you may one day hear the reviews of those movies. Of course. It depends on whether they get a UK release or not, or whether Danny just feels like launching into them. In the meantime, have a wonderful week, and we will see you next time. Should I do another one of my crazy... Do one of your crazy things. Steve Flamey. Keep hot. Keep the, keep the flames going. Yes. Keep them stoked. <laughs> Bye. You know, this man is at the top of a very particular iceberg, you know. And he's, I don't think you can describe him as a sex addict, he's a predator, that's different. He's, as it were, the top of the ladder of is uh, a system of um, harassment and uh, belittling and bullying and interference and what, what my mother would have referred to in the olden days as pestering. Is he pestering you? That's the word we used to use in the olden days, if you recall. This has been part of our world, women's world, since time immemorial. So what we need to start talking about is the crisis in masculinity, the crisis of extreme masculinity, which is this sort of behaviour, and the fact that it is not only okay, but it also is represented by the most powerful man in the world at the moment. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big.